welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Wow, you guys are awesome. Wow. So, so the real, the secret to this whole Ramsey thing is the get out of debt thing is just a trick <laughs> so that we can lead you to the Lord. And uh, it's, it's sneaky, I know, but um, I've had the, the pleasure of interacting with River Valley. You guys are absolutely incredible. Kingdom Builders, $10 million for two years in a row, believing for $20 million. We're believing with you. Uh, that's absolutely an amazing global impact. Congratulations. Well played. Well played. And I had the pleasure of spending some time back in one of those rooms back there with uh, now, what, four generations of Ketterlings. Uh, Yasimba and Mufasa are back there, right? And so, uh, yeah, if I'd have known how great grandkids are going to be, I'd have been nicer to their parents. But um, let's pray. God, you know I can talk by myself. Sure is better when you do it. Holy Spirit, we turn this time over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the 1940s and 50s, radio was what everyone did for entertainment. The television hadn't had brand penetration into the average American home at that time, and so they would gather around and listen to the president with the fireside chats, or they would listen to a show on radio, like the Lone Ranger, Hi-Ho Silver, and the Coconuts, right? In WGN Radio in um, Chicago was one of the original radio signals that blasted all across America, and in those days, there was a a show on there called Sky King, and of course, airplanes were a big deal. They were fairly new, and commercial air travel was certainly new and, and nuanced, and so anyone that did anything in an airplane was like a superhero, so this guy named Sky King on the radio would fly in, and he was the hero of the day and beat the bad guys, and the voice was this wonderful baritone voice of this guy named Earl Nightingale. And it was a great radio voice. So Earl figured out, like a lot of people did, that there's no money in radio, and he bought an insurance agency and quit. And um, so in the 50s, the way insurance was sold was people would go door to door to door, men in black suits, kind of like the movie Men in Black almost, and they would knock on your door and sell you life insurance. That was back when you could knock on someone's door and not get shot. So, um, (laughs) you know, knock on their door now, you're like, what? And so, but... um, but they, they would go door to door and sell insurance. It was a high rejection situation, lots of no's leading to a yes, old fashioned sales technique. And Earl was a great sales motivator and he got his insurance agency up and running and it was going really well because he could get the team pumped up to get out there. And the other thing Earl loved to do was fish. I had a, the pleasure of speaking with Earl's widow a few years ago and confirming these stories that I had heard about him, these legends and how this stuff came about. And She confirmed this part. And so he decided he was going from Chicago. He's going to go up into Canada fishing. And his his manager at the insurance agency said, this is not good. While you're gone, sales are going to go boop because you're the guy pumps everybody up. He goes, I'm going fishing. He goes, we got to do something if you're going fishing. 
So he goes back to his old radio station, and they let him use the studio, and he recorded a 33-minute talk on an acetone record, which if you were going to lay something down for a record, you would put it on a master, but an acetone was a temporary thing. There were no tapes in those days. It was before tape. And so if you think a flimsy record, if any of you old enough to remember the record on the back of an, a cereal box or something like that, it's a flimsy piece of film looking, and it, it, has, it has short shelf life. You could only play it a few times, and then it would be it would have been used up. But he recorded this 33-minute talk because he was only going to be gone two weeks. They played it on Monday. The guys go out, sales go up. They play it the next Monday. He's still fishing. Sales go up again. Well, word gets out on the street that this sales phenomenon is happening over at the Nightingale Insurance Agency, and the car dealer guys are asking for a copy of this talk, and everybody that's got a sales team anywhere is asking for a copy of this talk. And when Earl comes back, he's like gone viral before anybody knew what that was. And so he goes back into the studio, takes the acetone, puts it on a master, and presses out albums, 33s and 78s, and starts selling them. And the, the talk is called The Strangest Secret. Here's one of them from the 1950s, late 1950s. It is the first talk in human history, as best we can tell, a talk, not music, to sell over a million copies. So in the early 60s, the strangest secret, and thus was born the motivational movement. Earl was one of the uh, grandfathers of the positive thinking movement before there was a Zig Ziglar, before there was other things like that. And so this talk actually birthed it. And it's very interesting because he was a person of faith, and so he wove faith principles into the strangest secret. And basically, he said in there, Ralph Waldo Emerson says that a man is what he thinks about all day long. And the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Earl also said, what you can conceive and believe you can achieve, which has been abused because that's not completely true. If I can conceive and believe I can be in the National Basketball Association, that would not be true. Okay, that's, I'm short and can't jump and I'm old. It's not going to happen, okay? So we're not doing that. But so positive thinking only takes you so far, but it takes you further than negative thinking. So we're going to go with it, right? And so the idea you become, the strangest secret that he talks about is you become what you think about. And it's biblical. You become what you think about. Any of you read the book or see the movie um, Unbroken with Louis Zamperini, the story of Louis Zamperini? And of course, the movie is all about him being in the Japanese prisoner camp. But early in the movie, you see him as a kid in the uh, the bad end of town and in, in Southern California, and he's a track-running kid, uh, an ethnic kid, and, and he's trying to break through all the barriers, and he's, he's a miler in the 30s. He works his way up, ends up going to the Olympics in the Berlin Olympics. And in 1936, with Hitler in the stands doing this, Louis Zamperini, a person that Hitler would not have had anything to do with, I promise, Ran the, he didn't finish, he didn't medal, but he ran the mile in four minutes and 21 seconds. The guy who won the mile that year was just a few seconds ahead of him, but a few seconds is enough to put you out of medal and so forth. So that was the typical thing going on then. So this idea that you can't run a mile faster than four minutes spread like wildfire. So from the 1930s, 1940s, and it became this idea that the human body could not break the four-minute mile barrier. It was impossible. One set of doctors actually came out and said, if a person were to run a four-minute mile, their heart would explode, they would collapse and die. 
that the anatomy of the human body, it was impossible to do that. So for years, three, for years, 401, 402, 401, 402, 401, for a decade until Roger Bannister famously broke the four-minute mile in 1954. He ran through the tape. And if you see the guy there with the stopwatch, holding the stopwatch doing it, it's um, this guy here. So I saw that, and then I found out, I've been telling this story for years, because here's what's interesting. After Bannister broke the mile, after decades of no one thinking it could be done, it was physically impossible, Bannister broke it. If 46 days later, a guy beat his record. 22 times in the next six years, people broke the record and the four-minute mile. Now, if you're in high school and you're world-class, you run a four-minute mile because you believe you can. Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Earl Nightingale said, you become what you think about. And so I saw that stopwatch on there, and it went up for sale in London at, the, at Sotheby's auction. And I've been telling this story for years, and I've been making a little money. I got financial peace, and so I thought, I need that watch. I need that watch. I've been telling this story. I'm going to put that watch in the safe, and the grandkids can fight over the old man's watch that he told in the story. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to bid up to $10,000 on that because I'm a hillbilly. I got money. <laughs> so I put a $10,000 bid in it, blew past it, and I raised it to 15, and then I raised it to 22, and, and, and um, I quit bidding at 38,000, and another guy bought it. I bought this one on eBay for $4, okay? <laughs> so. Um, I fit in in Minnesota, I know. But uh, if you think you can or you think you can't, the power of intentionality, the power of belief. We find this in money. That's why I'm bringing it up. I, I, you ever hear people say, like, the little man can't get ahead. We're just stuck. Like Eeyore is their spirit animal. You know these people, right? They believe they can't. And you know what? 100% of the time, they can't. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the Bible says. And so belief is a big deal. When we did the largest study of millionaires at Ramsey ever done, we did 10,167 millionaires. We studied their beliefs. We studied what they mechanically and tactically did to build wealth. And we studied where their wealth came from. We studied how it was mixed. We studied everything about them. And here's what's interesting. We asked them if they believed it was possible in America to become a millionaire today. 97% of the millionaires said yes. Well, of course they did. They were millionaires, and they had done it. Once you've ridden a bike, you're like, is it possible to ride a bike? Well, of course they're going to say yes, you can ride a bike. I just rode one. But when you interview the public, only 64% believe it's possible. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So I wasn't really planning on writing another book, but I kept hearing on everywhere I was going, the stupid social media stuff, and the, oh my gosh, and dumb, dumb on parade, and, um, and, and the, the people writing horrible negative hater raid stuff, and, and all this stuff, and I'm, I, we started hearing these people, they were just trying to prove 
that America was dead, that the individual, when they follow biblical principles, cannot succeed in money. And I called them hope stealers. And I, they were saying, it's impossible to become a millionaire. The millionaires are telling me they can become millionaires. I'm meeting people that have followed our baby steps that we've taught now for 33 years that have become millionaires. I'm meeting their kids that have become millionaires now. Following the stuff, you know, it's a process. It's not hard. I mean, it is hard. It's not easy because we don't sell microwaves. We sell crock pots. It's tough, you know. But you, it works. And so these hope stealers were everywhere. And they've got these horrible messages out there. And I thought, I got to write another book. So we wrote a book called uh, Baby Steps Millionaires. And because we had the millionaires in front of us and we knew that it was working, and yet there were these people with these negative messages out there. And if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So we've got to kind of fight back against that lack, lack of hope. That's a, a believer's job is to put hope into the community, not not negative things. And so we're going to dump it out there. And so one of these, you ever heard this one? Here's what the hope stealers say. All wealth is inherited. You'll never be a millionaire if you don't inherit your wealth. So uh, let me help you with this. The, the study that we did, because we knew we were going to catch heat from the, the communists on it. Um, <laughs> and so not, cause I'm, I'm like a capitalist pig, right? And so, um, I believe in capitalism all the way to my core. I believe it's as biblical as it gets. And so I get out there and get after it, right? So, I, I, you know, but I knew we were going to catch heat from these people. And um, yeah, I'm trying to be nice. And I'm in church, <laughs> in the house of the Lord. And so, um, you know, so I, we, the, the research that we did was airtight from a statistical research uh, uh, process. We even hired an outside company to look over our shoulder so that we could prove that what we were discovering was done so perfectly that it was factual and we weren't doing any confirmation bias and all the things you run into when you're doing detailed research like this. And so we, this thing's airtight. So in other words, if you disagree with the findings of this study, you're what's known as wrong. Okay, that, that's, that's what I'm telling you, all right? So when we get, it's that good. I mean, the law of gravity works like this. You jump off, boom, you're gonna hit the sidewalk. That's every time. You don't get to argue about that on social media. You can, but you're just proving. Well, you, anyway, so, so, so 79% of the millionaires in the largest study of millionaires airtight research ever done, their inheritance was precisely zero. Eight out of 10. 5% of the millionaires did get an inheritance, but it was mathematically not enough to cause them to be millionaires like granny left them five grand. Okay, didn't make him a millionaire, but they did technically get an inheritance. Another 5% got substantial inheritance from family, like $250,000 or something, after they were already millionaires. So let me help you with the math here. 79 plus five plus five is 89% of America's millionaires are not millionaires because of inherited money. Mic drop, that's it. In other words, they must have done something, hello, that you can do. And it's available to me and available to you. Let's talk about it. The other thing that the hope stealers say is they say, well, this wealth inequality thing, it's not fair. Well, I used to tell my kids growing up, the fair is where they have cotton candy in the tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> Let me tell you what's not fair. If you work 60 hours a week and some other goob works six hours a week and he gets more money than you for the same job and he works one-tenth the hours, that's not fair. The results are gonna be unequal because the talents and the efforts are unequal 
For everything to be equal when the talents and the efforts aren't equal would not be fair. It's called communism. That's Karl Marx, not Jesus. This is how this works out here. I mean, read the parable of the talents. It's not a wealth equality story. He took the money from the guy that had the least, gave it to the guy that had the most. Why? Because he did the best job. That's the parable of the talents. Y'all ever read it? This is how it works. Communism's just not in the New Testament. Everybody tries to put it in there. I'm sorry, it's not. I know people vote wrong. It's, it's loud, but, but it's still there, right? The game is rigged. There are systemic problems. Yes, there are systemic problems. There are stupid people who will mess you up. There are racists out there. There are sexists out there. There are people that think because I have a Southern accent that my IQ is lower. This is how dumb humans are in America. Okay, so of course there's gonna be systemic problems. Your job is you're gonna become what you think about. And if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. The other thing they tell people, Condoleezza Rice talks about this. Condi, I've gotten to know her. It's some leadership stuff. We've done some speaking together and she's an amazing woman. She grew up in Birmingham and in the civil rights movement of the 60s, they called it Bombingham. Her best friend was killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, nine years old. So she came out of the projects in segregated Birmingham and her parents said, doesn't matter where you come from, all that matters is where you're going. Concert pianist, competition ice skater, first African-American lady to be the um, Secretary of State and brilliant. I mean, her purse is smarter than me. It's like, did she experience racism? Oh, like nobody in this room ever has because of her generation and the region that she came out of. Did, did she, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, what matters is where you're going. Christians shouldn't have wealth. That's the other thing the hope stealers say. Now, well, if the kingdom builders didn't have wealth, they wouldn't be able to give $20 million. So there's a problem with this mathematically, but isn't this fun? See, because I just love all the people who are theologians on Twitter <laughs> who have never read a Bible and live in their mother's basement. But they got a lot of opinions. We have given agency to stupid people in this culture with these little phone things, and it's, they're allowed to have a big mouth now. And it's crazy because they say, well, Christians, I mean, don't you know the Bible says that money is the root of all evil? No, I don't know that because it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And I love this one. The, uh, you know, camels can't get through the eye of a needle. And if a camel can't get through the eye of a needle, then a rich man can't get to heaven. Jesus said that, Dave. Do you not know scripture? <sighs> yes, I do. And it tells me to be nice. And it's very hard for me because I'm a redneck hillbilly. <clears throat> Before I knew Jesus, I wasn't nice, and now I'm still working on it. And so, <laughs> the camel gets through the avenue. Okay, let me help you with this one, all right? So first thing you need to do is you need to go back and read, read Scripture in context. It's called when you're doing a proper Bible study. And so you need to read the whole thing, not pick out what you want it to say so you can put it on Twitter. Okay, now when you read the whole thing, it says at the end, who then can be saved? Because the, 
the, uh, the thought at the day was that all rich people could buy their way into heaven, and the apostles were astonished, the Bible says, depending on which version you're reading. And they said, who then? They were talking to Jesus. Who then can be saved? And he said, no one gets to the Father except through the Son. This was not a wealth sermon or story. This was a story about salvation. Here's how you get to heaven. One way, Jesus. That's it. That's what he was doing. It was a very simple construct, but boy, you can pick and choose and Twitter something and make it say what you want to say, and you'd be like, wrong, and there's that. And see, here's the thing. If you believe that rich people aren't going to heaven, there's a logic breakdown here. There's critical thinking skills are required to be an intelligent Christian, and intelligent Christian is a good thing, okay? Do that, please. Seriously, critical thinking skills. All right, here's what, let's go through this. All right, so if you are a prostitute and you come to Jesus, you go to heaven. If you're Jeffrey Dahmer and you're a mass murderer and you come to Jesus, the power of his blood at the cross to forgive your sins are there, you go to heaven. We believe that, but not those rich people. (laughs) Jesus' blood comes up a little short there. I'm being sarcastic, but you know what we call that, guys, boys and girls? That's called heresy. When you short change the power of the blood of Christ, doctrinally speaking, that's heresy. So when the hope stealers say wealthy people aren't going to heaven, they not only don't know scripture, they're preaching a thing called Gnosticism, which is a form of heresy. It's very real, y'all, and it's a problem out there because we've even got Christians telling other Christians, you know, the one percent, have you heard about the one percent, the evil one percent, they've got it all. You're not going to get any because they got it all. And for sure, the 1% aren't going to heaven because they're really rich. Only problem with that is, here's your numbers, okay? $39,000 household income puts you in the top 1% of income earners in the world. Nobody in here going to make it. (laughs) See, the critical thinking skills on this bad doctrine, toxic lies, teaches people that it's not okay to build wealth. And so they walk around what we call in the South, poor mouthing it saying, I'm poor because that's what Christians are supposed to be, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's called a heresy. And it's not that you need to be rich to be a Christian, but telling people that they've done something wrong because they were successful in the marketplace serving someone else. I got a buddy who has a restaurant, did really well, so now he's got 40 of them, and it does, feeds 40 times more people. He ain't stealing from anybody. He's feeding people that want to give him money for his good food. That's called serving in the community. And his customers give him these certificates of appreciation with president's faces on them. This is how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to serve in the marketplace. And don't be, don't be arguing about cause and effect because you're going to reap what you're going to sow. When you do 40 restaurants versus one, you should get 40X at least or 30X anyway, right? You should see you're going to reap what you sow. If you want some corn, plant some corn. And don't be talking about it. Plant the corn. Get up, leave the cave, kill something, drag it home. You're going to reap what you sow. Plant the corn. Another story, Earl Nightingale used to say, he said, the preacher's coming along the dirt road, and he comes up over the rise, and there's this beautiful farm. And he catches the farmer down at the end of the row, and he says, Farmer, the Lord has blessed you with an incredible farm. The old farmer's covered in dirt. He's got his hoe. He's got calluses. He's, he's been working that. He's been busting it, man. The farm is, looks like a Norman Rockwell painting. 
Preacher says, farmer, the Lord has blessed you with a wonderful farm. And the farmer says, yes, sir, he has. And I get on my knees every morning, preacher, and I tell him, thank you. Preacher, you should have seen this place when the Lord had it all to himself. (laughs) See, there's this weird mix between our work that we're supposed to do, our planting of the corn, and then God brings the sun and the rain. We don't control the sun and the rain, but sometimes Christians stand back and look at the mud with no corn in it and go, well, I wonder why it didn't. I was looking for a miracle. The miracle was in your hands to put the seed in the ground. You're the walking miracle. Cause it to happen. St. Ambrose said, work like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. And then when the blessings come, we can get on our knees and we should and say, thank you, Lord. You bless me beyond my wildest imaginations. The things that Dave and Sharon get to do today after going broke and being so stupid in our 20s and unbelievable mistakes I've made over the 30 years of running a business, the things I still get to do anyway blow my mind. There's no possible way I can take that as something I did by myself. But I have worked my tail off. God has blessed our efforts. And he doesn't bless a lack of effort. Sometimes when Christians are lazy, they call it prayer. I'm praying. Go work while you're praying. (laughs) Don't misunderstand and don't write pastor hate mail. I do believe in prayer. But I've been doing this long enough in the Christian community that I meet people who use Christian talk to cover their toxic misbehaviors. And so I'm gonna always come out against that because I'm that guy, okay, so there we go. So pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on you. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By what we're doing right now, the renewing of your mind, new information that didn't come from cable news, went straight into my mind. It came out of God's word in God's house and comes straight into my mind and my mind is renewed and I am transformed every time that happens. And it can be dramatic like our friend who met Christ after thinking about suicide right here in this congregation. That's a dramatic, powerful transformation. It can be a gradual transformation where you look up and you go, I haven't seen you in a while and you seem to have lost 60 pounds, way to go. That's pretty cool. You ever seen a friend? They go, hey, you lost a Backstreet Boy. That's good. And so, um, (laughs) see, what happens is we're putting stuff in, and when we put new good stuff in, the renewing of our mind, it flushes the junk out. And in our world today, everything is so polarized, angry, and rage-filled, you have to be very careful about what you're putting into your mind. What websites are you hovering on? What cable news channels are you hovering on? Their job is to make you angry and anxious. You will come back. You, you get addicted to the fear porn, and you just keep coming back. Watch your inputs. My wife is, uh, we're 63 years old this year. She just turned 63. I'll get ready to be 63 after her. I'm married to an older woman. And um, <laughs> she's in absolutely perfect physical condition. It is sickening. Zero body fat, walks eight miles a day, and it's wonderful because she's my wife, but it's also shame-inducing because I'm me, you know. And so um, she comes in after her walk and puts these things in the blender that humans should not eat. And when it spins up, it looks like nuclear waste. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
And then she drinks it and has a little nuclear waste mustache. And then she asks the dumbest question, you want some? <laughs> no. No, I don't want some. I should, but I don't. She finishes drinking, puts it under the sink, you've done this, turns on the hot water running into the glass and starts putting the clean water into the filth, the nuclear waste, right? And it, you know what, we call this the displacement theory. This is what happens in our lives as we're conformed to the image and likeness of Christ with our walk with Christ in church. We get new, clean things coming in. It boils the junk out. And if you let that water run for just a minute and 16 seconds, suddenly the water in the glass is cleaner. You know, isn't it? And that's the way our lives work. So I just want for you guys what God wants for you. And I'll tell you what that is financially. I'm 100% sure I've been doing this a long time. I don't know a lot about anything else, but this I know. He wants you on a budget. Because Jesus said, don't build a tower without first counting the cost, lest you get halfway up and you're unable to finish. And all who see you begin to mock you and say, this man began to build and was unable to finish. He wants you to work a plan. Why does he want you to work a plan? So that you can live on less than you make. Because the Bible says, a foolish man devours all he has. And he wants you to live on less than you make. Why? So you can get out of debt and stay out of debt. Why? Because the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And we want to be out. He wants you out of debt. Why does he want you out of debt? So you can build an emergency fund. Because he says in the house of the wise, wise people have stores of choice food and oil. Why does he want you to have an emergency fund? So you can begin to build wealth because no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it yields a harvest of righteousness. Why does he want you to build wealth? So you can change your family tree because God, oh man, this is the favorite one for me. When I see a legacy like this family, four generations worshiping together, right? Wow. Uh, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Yes, it's a spiritual inheritance, but it's also money. David didn't build the temple. David's money built the temple in Solomon's hands. An inheritance built the temple. A godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, assuming they have a godly walk. And why does we do all that? We do all that because of the very reason this place exists. Everything y'all talk about all the time, because if you're out of debt and you've changed your family tree, then you're in a position to completely be outrageously generous. I mean, just, God loves a cheerful giver. See, I don't go to the grocery store much. Sharon does most of that, but occasionally I got to go over there. And y'all can tell I'm a little hyper. And so when I get to the grocery store, I don't know if any of y'all do this. I'm, it's like a, a NASCAR pit stop. I'm trying to figure out the most efficient way to get in there and get out. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Squall up, find the closest parking lot, mm -mm -mm, get the three things. And then I'm looking, okay, is this cashier fast? I'm trying to judge the productivity of the line. Y'all ever do this? And you, you always pick the wrong one, but you try, don't you? And, and so I, I go in there and I'm in the line and there's a guy in front of me and there's this woman with three kids in front of him and these kids are all over the place. People make your kids behave. And it's just, ugh. And I'm just I'm messing up my plan. I'm trying to get out of here. Lord, help me and forgive me my stupid spirit. And then she puts her card in. It's rejected. Well, now I start to turn off my little... NASCAR judgmental self a second. I went, oh no. Now I look down, I realize the kids' clothes aren't in that great a shape. 
And I tur- she turns around, kind of looks around, embarrassed and ashamed, and you see that look in her eyes. The eyes of the wind of the soul, you see pain. And all of a sudden, I feel like a complete jerk, because I am. And she hands him another card, and it rejected. And I'm just standing there, slack-jawed, frozen, thinking about how dumb I am and how awful I am. And the guy between us, Hispanic guy, uh, construction worker, I can tell by the boots and the mud on the boots, um, he, before I could come to out of my stupor of idiocy, he, he reaches and hands the cashier $200. And the lady's like, no, 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 no. Well, he doesn't speak English, so, or at least he acted like he didn't. Because <laughs> she, she couldn't fight it off. She couldn't fight it off. He pays for her groceries. Because I don't know if he spoke English, but he spoke card denied. He spoke, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. He spoke fear because everyone around could smell it and see it. He just beat me to it. I didn't realize Clark Kent was standing in front of me dressed like a Hispanic construction worker, but in just a moment, Superman came out and saved the day. That's outrageous generosity. This is how we need to live our whole lives, like him, not me. I just told you I failed. Man, I want to be him. Thank you, Jesus. Help me be him. Help me walk around with the things you've given me to manage, and I manage them for your glory with outrageous generosity because I've worked your principles, and as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, and I will gladly and proudly serve you with anything you allow me to manage because of what you've done for me. You've blown my mind, Lord. Help me to be Superman. Put me in a position financially that I can do that a bazillion times with lots of zeros on the end. Turns out rich people are who feed hungry kids, not poor people. So quit running them down. Most of them built their wealth a little bit at a time in their 401k and paid off their house and they worked their tails off. Quit being jealous, quit being mean. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he outrageous generosity. Father God, we thank you for this incredible congregation and how they represent that outrageous generosity. It's the very value of this place. And Father, it's uh, on special display regularly around here. Lord, I'm honored to get to be in the presence of people who are kingdom builders who think like that and with zeros on the end. Father, if the people are in here that don't know you, They don't understand yet what outrageous generosity is because you are unbelievably generous. You blow our minds with your blessings. Then help me to remember that those blessings come. I'm blessed like Abraham of old. I'm blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.